podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Across the Pond. Um, very special across the pond. We're looking at the Nuggets Clippers series in the NBA uh, with Ryan Doherty. Uh, so we'll get him on in just a second. Uh, just a big shout out uh, to Fanatics uh, for supporting the podcast. Still uh, loving having them uh, as a part of the, the podcast. Uh, remember, next time you're going to shop uh, for your fan gear, uh, do that at Fanatics. We've got links um, in the description. Uh, of the podcast uh, we also have it on our social media uh, talking of social media uh, you can get us on email atp at cjd.me.uk uh, you can search for us on facebook and instagram uh, across the pond sports and on twitter uh, we're at atp sports pod um, so uh, you can get us uh, anywhere you need to and get those links for Fanatics. Um, we've got our Fantasy Football League that's uh, started uh, tonight as well. Um, I think I'm looking pretty good for round one. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Uh, but we will just now get on with Ryan uh, and we will discuss the uh, series between the Clippers and the Nuggets. Okay then, so I've got Ryan here with me now. Uh, Ryan Doherty, NBA expert uh, in analysis. Um, so we're going to talk about the, the Nuggets Clippers just finished. Um, we just uh, sat and watched that, not together because of social distancing and everything else. Um, but yeah, we've sat and watched that game. Denver uh, came out on top, um, 111 to 98. They tie up the series three apiece. This is going to a game seven. Uh, that game seven will happen on Tuesday. Uh, Ryan, this was a this was a bumper game for Denver. We've seen them come back in the previous series against the Jazz. Can they do it again for a second time and one playoffs and one playoffs? Uh, I think I think they can. Um, I think the way that they came out in the in the first quarter was much much better than they had done in previous games. They showed a kind of determination. They were really wanting to get them down the floor, almost go like toe to toe with the Clippers and force the Clippers into bag, taking bad shots. Um, I was quite surprised that Clippers obviously went and retook the lead. Um, I obviously thought that um, Denver made a few mistakes and that kind of let them get a lot of easy fast break points and stuff like that, which kind of really hurt their chances. But the way they came back in the third was, you know, typical Denver basketball. Yeah, that third quarter was was big. It was huge. Uh, they outscored the Clippers thirty to sixteen. That that in itself was big. But then they they seemed to get that momentum, and then in the fourth quarter they they won that one thirty four nineteen. So although the the first quarter was pretty close, as was the second quarter, the Clippers had a decent lead going into the half, sixteen points. Um, they they really didn't build upon that. You would have thought Doc Rivers would have had them coming out all fired up. Let's close out the series. Let's go and play the Lakers. Were they maybe thinking about playing the Lakers instead of finishing off the Nuggets? I, I think that if you if you watch a, a lot of how um, Doc Rivers has got his team in the second half um, from these playoffs, it's always been pretty poor. And I think that's because they seem to, like just before the half there, they were only up by four points with about three minutes to go in, in the half. Then suddenly spun up to sixteen, and it looked like, oh, that's it, it's game over, sixteen. And I think that's what Rivers kind of tells his guys in the locker room. That's it, guys, we've got it. It's under control. 
all we need to do is keep our same pace, same tempo, everyone's fine, we'll breeze this game. And obviously it's 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 not working for them. And if if I was if I was Doc Rivers, I, I would be really questioning my my team talk during that halftime because it's 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 a regular thing that's occurring. Uh, so I just heard some of Mike Malone's comments, and he's been doing his uh, post game press conference. Um, he kind of he, he was asked what his halftime team talk was. Um, he, he kind of said, "Yeah, it was kind of a win one for the kipper kind of kind of speech." Um, but I mean. He has, through this playoffs, done particularly well at beating good teams in the second half. We've seen it in the last series against the Jazz and this one. And this is off, I mean, he's got players on this, even if you just look at the starting five. Paul Millsap is kind of a shadow of the player he was maybe a couple of years ago. But defensively, and just with how, because the turning point for me in the series was the last game when Millsap stood up to, to Morris Senior, is what we're calling him now. Um, he stood up to him, stood up to the bully, shouted him down. And then you really seen Denver in that game really start to kind of, oh, you know what? You know, we're not going to take this anymore. Um, do you think that alone has really spurred on the Nuggets to, to this, where they're going to Game 7? Well, I think a, a lot of their confidence comes from the fact that they've done it once already. And they arguably um, the Jazz were in a much stronger position because the, the it was the first round and the Jazz seemed like they had those three games that they won in a row under control. Whereas, as we've seen in the, the Clippers uh, Maverick series, the Clippers have massive gaps in their defensive intensity and they just switch off at, at, for long periods of time and let teams back into it. Whereas against the Jazz, the Jazz were like consistent always doing the same, you know, very, very intense defence, and it was up to Denver to step up. So I think them playing against the Clippers team, they aren't always fully focused. They've been exploiting that game after game. Yeah, I mean, when you lose Patrick Beverly, who, who went out after picking up too many fouls tonight, um, when you lose someone with that intensity, uh, who steals the ball really well, Paul George isn't the greatest defender. Um, Kawhi Leonard is. He, he is a, a legit defender. Uh, one defensive player of the year in the past. But really, once you take Pat Beverly out, you've really not got a, a kind of legit defender. Um, whereas you look at Gary Harris on the flip side, and he was... There was one kind of rotation of, of defence where he had a great defensive play. They ran it up. They scored. Then he got two steals in a row... Um, from the next two drives, and the Clippers were just you know, flapping around like chickens, really, um, on that series. And they really didn't know how to, to stop Gary Harris coming in and just taking the ball from them, um, for want of a, a better term. Um, he had a great night. He played 42 minutes. He played the most minutes of, of anyone. Um, finished with 16 points. He had those four steals, and those were, were four huge steals. Uh, for them. <laughs> Gary Harris obviously didn't play too much in the last round. He came in kind of late uh, into the Jazz series, but he has really grown into these playoffs um, and is, is having some big minutes. I'd say like um, one, of the, one of the key takeaways that I'd actually noticed from that game was Gary Harris's um, doubling on defence and his rebounding and his harassing D, just you know, sprinting on the court, making sure that someone sees a hand in their face. 
Um, he also had a, a major three in the fourth just to kind of tie the game up, which, you know, um, Denver had missed um, two really kind of contested shots. Jokic with that with a kind of fadeaway that he would usually hit, and he missed it. And then um, they got a stop on the other end. Gary Harris comes up, gets an open three, hits it. And his kind of play um, does kind of emphasise what Denver are all about. It's if someone isn't doing their, doing as expected, someone else will pick up the slack. And I think the Clippers are really missing that just now. Like what they're doing is they're literally just kind of give the ball to Paul George or Kawhi Leonard and go go do go and do what you do. No one's really setting the additional screen. No one's moving for that extra pass. Very stagnant on their offense. Yeah. Um, now Jamal Murray went down uh, in this game uh, in the third. Um, he played on like a a warrior uh and then when he came off later on he was he was i think it was just a normal substitution just to kind of give him a break before the fourth quarter anyway uh like mike malone would normally do so there was nothing i don't think there was any kind of major injury concerns or anything like that uh, but he did get taken away not to the locker room but just to the the bit behind there um and they kind of were stretching him off and everything else but he came back um and, and he he, he looked a bit gingerly after the knock he'd taken, but when he came back in the fourth, he, he kind of looked a lot more comfortable. Yeah, uh, obviously, I think it was just, you know, listening up that abdominal region where he's hitting that just, you know, made him able to move like he usually does. You've seen him when he was um, at the top of the key um, setting setting screens and um, coming off screens with Jokic. He wasn't moving that freely in the third, and then uh, when he came back in, he was absolutely fine, you know, driving to the hole. Um, no fear as per usual, which is is great to see. It's what they really need him to to come up and be big in that in that game seven, just like he was last time. So, big question, I think, for Denver. We'll, we'll, fi- we'll finish up with Denver on this one. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. only played twenty seven minutes, nearly he scored thirteen point seven rebounds. He's shooting fifty percent um, field goal percentage. <laughs> Would you really hope that he's going to be playing more? Because when he he, he seems frustrated that he's not playing more himself, um, and you would really hope that, as I said before, I mean Paul Millsap stood up to the bully in the last game. He's only playing twenty one minutes. He's only producing six points, five rebounds, shooting forty percent. Should Michael Porter Jr. start to kind of build on these minutes and start getting more? I would expect that they they run similar rotations like they have been doing the last couple of games. Like I think that as a young player, um, Porter Junior should just be happy with the role he's got. Mm-hmm. He should realize that he's not even the third option on their team, and that any kind of touches and any kind of plays that might, you know, that's a bonus. Um, I think the kind of confidence that he's feeding off, um, being that kind of replacement sub for uh, Grant, is fantastic. But he needs to realise he isn't the same kind of defender as Grant is. And he's he's not going to get as much time as he would usually do if it was a more free and open scoring uh, team he was playing against. Like maybe if he was, had to play against the Rockets or something like that, where it's more about can you bring your offence to the game rather than your defence. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the Nuggets and I think we probably both agree that they probably take the, the series. But Playing devil's advocate, what would the Clippers really realistically need to do to for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to make the conference finals? Well, I I I do think that this this may be a wee bit of kind of karma coming back and biting Doc in the in the rear end. Um, 
for what he for what they kind of they did in the first round against Dallas. Um, obviously the game plan was take out their main star. That's that's all it seemed, um, and I think that's he needs to realise that he can't just do that. He can't just go and go right. We'll take out Jokic or we'll take out Murray. They need to have a a sound game plan to get them both out their games rather than just go and beat on one guy. Um, I think that if Doc does somehow manage to to win this series, then I think he's you know he he's going to be really fired up for the for the finals. Um, but I, I I personally don't see it. Doc Rivers is kind of known for choking in the playoffs, and I think this might be another case of, you know, Doc Rivers being Doc Rivers. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously he has won a championship um, with the the Celtics, uh, but since he's been at the Clippers, his playoff record hasn't been great. Uh, and this, like you say, this kind of bully boy, what Pistons bad boys or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think it works in this in this climate. Um, the NBA is a very much different game to the way it was back in the 90s when you would get away with elbows and everything else, um, hitting players. and um, I, I don't think you get away with that nearly closely as much. And obviously that's what Marcus Morris Sr. was doing against Millsap the other night. And I think it backfired uh, because I think it just spurred Millsap on um, and more importantly, spurred on the rest of his team because they seen a vet standing up and saying, you know what, I'm not going to take this and, and kind of went right back in his face. So uh, I do think that the, the Clippers have a chance. You're obviously not big on Doc, um, but they still have the a reigning champion on their team, an MVP of the playoffs and Kawhi Leonard. Can Kawhi Leonard drag them over the line? I mean, of course he can, but he needs his his bench to really support him on that because as soon as he's off the floor, it is very much let's give the ball to Paul George and you know hope he doesn't turn into George Paul and you know make every single shot he possibly can, which in the past three or four games he really has been. But in that first that first round series, we've seen him just you know go into himself and he couldn't get out of a slump. That yeah. that's going to happen either it, possibly in game seven or in. Uh, in further rounds because he's obviously something's really bothering him about the fact that maybe he's not getting the same kind of touches that he would usually do or mm-hmm. uh, if he's not considered the man of the team I think he's kind of looked around and been like I thought I was the offensive threat but Kawhi's obviously the guy but I think for Paul George he needs to realise that he is much much better as that number two in a team yeah I think as well, I mean, Paul George was the man in Indiana. There was no no doubt about that. They didn't really have anyone else. Um, he took over from Danny Granger. Uh, he went to um, Oklahoma, where Westbrook was the man. Uh, and Westbrook was there when he went, uh, sorry, George was in uh, with Westbrook when Westbrook was hitting all these triple doubles. So he was definitely the, the second guy. Uh, tonight, he, Paul George scored 33 points. Uh, six rebounds compared to Leonard's 25 points and eight rebounds. Uh, so he is he's putting up points on the board. Uh, but obviously, I think where he's lacking is the defensive end. And, and like I alluded to earlier, when you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Pat Beverly, they are ground-out defenders. Whereas you look through the rest of that team, Marcus Morris isn't really a defender. He's, I think he's far too clumsy. You've got Montrezl Harrell. But Harrell played just 15 minutes uh, and he only had one rebound, uh, which 
when, when you look at someone um, who you would really see as being quite a big threat in the last couple of years for the Clippers, uh, a player that's really kind of finding his, his niche, he had a terrible game tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, the way that Harold usually gets rebounds a lot of would be on the on the offensive rebounding, which the Nuggets have done really well at making sure they kind of have this group mentality of let's just pack the no charge circle so that he cannot get any uh, offensive rebounds. You've seen it a couple of times where there was Gary Harris, um, Jeremy Grant and um, Jokic all just standing right at the no charge circle, making sure that he's not getting rebounds, which is what they need to do to be successful in this, se- this series. Um, I think Harrell needs to realise that if he's going to get any more kind of touches, um, he needs to do a bit like what Zubach is doing and setting higher higher pick and roll screens. I think that's what Zubach has been doing pretty well in this series where he's been getting uh, chances of uh, pick and rolls that are really set quite high up the court. And if I was if I was Doc, I would be I'd be wanting to play Harold more in that kind of role rather than just have him be this, you know, peripheral. Uh, or he'll come in and get a possible offensive rebound putback. He needs to be used more in that kind of role because he he drag he'll drag Jokic and whoever else is defending him out past that. You know the the no charge circle where they're obviously wanting to keep him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think they they really need to kind of keep them. Out of that charge circle, if the Clippers have any chance of, of getting a win in Game 7. Uh, the last thing that I noticed uh, tonight was the, the ball movement, especially in the fourth quarter uh, by the Nuggets. Um, their ball movement was outstanding. They, it was so good that the, the, the Clippers actually couldn't keep up with the ball a lot of the time. And that was leading to the Nuggets having nice open shots uh, that they could get through. Um, and make a lot of those shots. Tory Craig finally hit a three uh, in the fourth quarter. It took him a while um, to, to get going, but he got going. So um, the Nuggets then move on uh, with the Clippers to game seven on Tuesday. Um, that's going to be a, a, a late game because uh, you've got the Heat and the Celtics starting off their Eastern Conference finals uh, on Tuesday as well. Um, so Nuggets, Clippers... So I think are we both going for the Nuggets? Yeah, I'm going for the Nuggets. I think I think just just out of um, pure respect from what Mike Malone has done in both these series, you know, to come back for being so far down and obviously uh, basically being the underdog for so many years, it'll be good to see them in in a conference finals. All right then. So uh, there was some big news that happened um, uh, just as the game was about to tip off. Uh, Mike D'Antoni. Um, announced in a statement to ESPN uh, that he was going to be leaving the Houston Rockets. Uh, he's already been linked to the job in Philadelphia and the job in Indiana. Um, <laughs> do you think he just had enough in Houston? Like it, it, He thinks that he's gone as far as he could with that team? Well, I think that he's had a look at the roster and how the next few years play out and um, looking at the salaries and stuff like that, I, I don't think it's very favourable. And I think he's looking at possibly taking our team further in, in the conferences. Uh, and I do think it is time for him to kind of go separate ways from uh, Houston and stuff. So I, I do think it's a wise move from D'Antoni, but it also uh, poses questions of what does Houston do next? Because the amount of high 
uh, salaries on their roster is uh, isn't looking good. No, it's it's not. They they do have Westbrook. They've got Harden. They've got um, Clint Capella. They they have some guys on some big big salaries. Um, so I think for me, I see Philly as as his landing spot, uh, and I don't think that'll happen. I don't think it's going to be a, a long time before we get that announcement. Um, I think it'll be a couple of weeks away. Uh, and I simply just see it because I think when you had Harden uh, and you had all those pieces that had around him before Westbrook, so you had him and Chris Paul, um, he kind of bridged the gap when Chris Paul and Harden weren't getting along. Uh, he, he kind of wrapped their heads together and, and told them, come on, let's, let's get this done. I always felt that Embiid and Simmons and Philly don't have a great relationship just because of the body language uh, between the two. They just they just don't look like they get on. D'Antoni, I think, is a as a coach, is a bit of a player's coach, whereas he'll go in there, massage a bit of the ego, and potentially Philadelphia do quite well. Now their structure in terms of salaries and everything else doesn't look nearly as bad as Houston's. Um, and they've they've got room for manoeuvre as well with contracts ending and so on. So he could pick up a couple of his own players that he's looking for as well. What's your best landing spot for D'Antoni? I mean, I, I was I was thinking similarly to you. I think Philly is probably the best the best kind of fit for him because what he does well is he gets the the offense moving so much better than a lot of other coaches, mainly because he he empowers the players to kind of take it on themselves, and he doesn't run that many plays and it's uh, not not kind of one on one basketball but it's more we'll set one screen we'll get we'll get a guy open or drive the lane and kick it out whereas I think Brett Brown was definitely more of we need to run this set play it always has to go through these three guys and then some something will happen and I don't think because there is a lot of young 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 talent in Philadelphia it wasn't really suiting the way that they're used to playing I think their kind of collection of guys just wasn't really up to it um, but um, going all back there to uh, the salary stuff in Houston, um, forty-one million uh, to Russell and Harden next year. That's you know eighty-two million between the two of them gives you what thirty million to play with, which yeah. isn't, isn't that much. Um, no. I think you were saying that Capel was still there, but he's he's gone. So uh, Covington they've got is their next biggest, oh, yeah, that's right. yeah, biggest acquisition. I think he's on seventy million, which is it's a big big chunk as well. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens happens with them. Um, I, I can't see anywhere that they can possibly shave savings. So it, it needs to be if they need to trade a lot. And they're probably, got, I don't know if they've got any uh, draft picks left because they did not throw in a couple of draft picks when they got Russell. I think they had to, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I think I, Oklahoma, yet again, probably did a, a decent bit of business on that, much like they did with the Paul, Paul George thing. Um, they they kind of got a lot um, for a player um, for the future, not for maybe right now. I think they were thinking more long term. Um, so there's a couple of picks in there. Yeah. Um, what about Houston though? Moving forward, I mean, coach wise, I mean, I'm always I've, over the over the last couple of years, I've been a big fan of mm. Becky Hammond of the Spurs, yeah, assistant coach at the Spurs, looking at these head coaching jobs. <sighs> Could I, I don't think Houston's the best one for her um, or for any coach, to be perfectly honest, um, given the issues that they're going to have. But I, I think for her, probably or for most coaches, Indiana is probably 
the best the best spot because and and I was shocked that they actually got rid of their head coach. I thought he'd done a, a pretty decent job. He'd taken to them to the playoffs. When they arrived at the playoffs, they were missing a couple of big big pieces. Um, so I was a bit surprised that he, he did go. But for for Houston, I look at the coaches that are available, uh, and I, I I think what may happen is a Sam Cassell. Uh, or uh, um, who was that? The, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just seen him tonight. Totally forgot his name. Um, Clippers assistant Mike Brown. Uh, Mike Brown. Yeah, uh, this could be like a Mike Brown type job. Yeah, um, that sees them out through some tough years, uh, and then the the Rockets kind of move on from him a bit later on. Um, Daryl Morey obviously got in trouble last year. Uh, with uh, China, um, and he's he's kind of been on a hot seat himself ever since. I mean, he was on a very good position before that, but when the the China Hong Kong thing happened, where he, he supported Hong Kong, um, he he put the NBA very much in a hot seat. The NBA and China then kind of stopped doing a lot of deals together. Could Daryl Morey, with D'Antoni leaving, could Morey then? be close out the door but more push than walk i i think that maury stays and i think the most the most possible outcome in my mind is that houston almost do a kind of swap uh with uh, philly and they go for brett brown brett brown obviously really wants to get to a conference finals and get to the finals and show that he's not a playoff 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 ineptly coach um but I think I think he's probably the best fit for for Houston. I did write down a couple of other names. You've got Ken, Kenny Axon, your man from the Nets, who's shown he can do well with really short rotations as well. Uh, Mark Jackson, who is apparently just a forgotten man. Uh, no one his, wants name, to his, name, no, his, his name comes up every time there's a coaching job. <laughs> every time there's a coaching job, you see him on ESPN. Yep. <laughs> Covering yep. the game. And, so, uh, the, the last one I had was uh, Ty Lue. Um, mainly because of the fact that he's he's got a ring and he's used to surrounding his best player with shooters. Um, well, he's but- he's another one actually. Of obviously, he won his ring in Cleveland. Um, uh, he's another one who he, he found it quite difficult to deal with high pressure. And I think in Houston, I don't think he'll have that high pressure um, because he's. I don't think Houston are going to be expecting to win a championship anytime soon, not with the, the kind of salary issues that they have. Yeah. I mean I, I think that Tyloo is quite would be quite a good fit for long term for them because it gives them a chance to rebuild but kind of stay competitive while they've still got Russell and Harden both on the books. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be they'll get to playoffs. They might cause an upset here or there, but I don't see them really challenging and it also means that Tyloo doesn't really need to coach because let's face it, did he really coach in Cleveland? Um, probably not. <laughs> I think we all know who the coach was on that team. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, we'll move uh, swiftly on. The NBA announced uh, this week uh, that the uh, next season may not start until the end of December. Uh, normally, it'd be slated for at the moment, kind of mid October, uh, but now we're looking at kind of mid December. Uh, so that causes a, a couple of issues. Uh, one is that the Olympics are supposed to be held next year. Um, that may be questionable uh, with COVID-19. 
so, but the season effectively would run right over the Olympics. Um, so you wouldn't have NBA players necessarily going to the Olympics. Uh, if if we do start in December, um, and we do, I, I imagine without fans as well, because um, we're in enclosed spaces. So I, I can only imagine it's without fans unless anything dramatically happens, like a, a vaccine or something. Um, if a new season starts, who who would you be watching for in terms of moves? Um, I think that there's a few teams that really need like one or two pieces for them to be real contenders. Um, your your guys at the Jazz, um, obviously they're they're missing probably just one or two pieces, and then they're they're really up there fighting for number one or number two spot in the in the. Do West. you think we need a new point guard? That's I, something that's been asked online everywhere. Do you think we need a new point guard? I will. I I was never really a fan of Conley, um, mainly because he's a really good defender. But I think what he did so well in Memphis was the fact that he was the main guy, uh, and I think trying to coexist with uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell, he really really struggled. And I I don't see him adjusting um, if they do add another couple of pieces, because um, that means even less touches for himself. Um, you know, Chris Paul is going to be out there, um, and I, I see him as quite a good fit for you guys actually because he's a natural born leader. He's also someone that doesn't need the ball in his hands. He gives that kind of veteran air of experience around the team as well. Now, talking as a Jazz fan, <clears throat> don't like Chris Paul <laughs> <laughs> for for a number of reasons. Um, however, I think you're right. I think as a as a fit. Um, as a, a leader and a, and actually a guy that would take a step back so guys like Donovan Mitchell could shine. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think he, he would. I think Conley, though, to his credit, came back um, uh, in Mar- before March. Yeah, he, I don't think he was really clicking on the team. He seemed to take a long time to settle in. But I think when they came back into the bubble in Orlando, I think that they they actually did start to click a lot more. Uh, we've seen his numbers go up. Um, so I did think it, it started to move on. Um, big question, though, for as we talk about bubbles, do you think come December we'll be in a NBA bubble again? Or do you think uh, these teams will be playing at home and away? I, I, have, I have kind of two different kind of thoughts about this. I think if the, if the NBA and uh, Adam Silver want it to be um, a long normal season, I think it's probably best if they go into a bubble, mm-hmm. but if they're wanting to shorten it so it's just going to be up until the Olympics um, and you know squeeze in playoffs before then then probably home and away games makes a bit of sense um, I just I don't see the, the home and away aspect being feasible for a whole 82 game season, I yeah. just think that there would be too many uh, cancelled rescheduled games Outbreaks left, right, and centre. So I think that it's probably best if they do go in a bubble again. But I, I don't, I don't see how that works. Um, in terms of time, that's just you know, yeah. that's, that's the thing that in my mind. Well, I think, and um, we've seen in Major League Baseball, uh, it really affected the schedule when teams like the Miami Marlins came down with with COVID, um, uh, the Oakland A's most recently, uh, but they have only had I think three or four teams that have had positive tests for COVID. Um, I think initially when Miami 
um, got it. There was a bit of a a reaction to, well, hang on, why have you started this season when this is happening? Um, outside a bubble, uh, when it's worked so well for the NBA and the NHL, um, who have yet to, to have a positive test um, for anyone. Uh, so I think... I think you start if you're going to do an 82 game season, you probably do it outside the bubble. Um, and if you're going to have a shortened season, so the players are obviously not kept away from their families for for a long period, um, you do like a shortened season in a bubble. Um, and that's more to do with the the players' state of mind. Uh, a lot of players have come out, like Paul George did, come out and say, you know what, he was feeling a bit down because all these guys are out their routines, they're away from their friends, their families. Um, I know some, I think they're allowed one or two members of their family in the bubble with them just now. Um, but that's that's still not kind of normal life that they would be used to. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, they're kind of suffering along with the rest of us, but um, and they're staying in nice hotels and everything's bought and paid for for them. But at the same time, they are away from their families. And I think that's, that's a hard one. We did see... Mike Conley go and have a baby, or his wife had the baby, um, uh, during the playoffs. Um, so that has a, a big effect as well. Um, I think, for me, I think we take the playoffs um, as they are at the moment, and then I think we just have to see how COVID moves forward. But the NFL season's obviously kicked off today. Um, they've, they seem to have done quite well. Um, with I think they've had six positive tests in total and only one of those were was a player. I think the rest were support staff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Yeah, definitely. I think I think um, with a like high contact sport like NFL and stuff as well, that'll be it'll be a good judge to, to find out how how everyone else is reacting with that. And the fact that they are actually starting to get fans back in their games as well is also it's quite promising. As as the as the rest of the kind of sporting world kind of starts to get back to normal with fans and stuff. Yeah. Um. So well, yeah. I mean, there's one NFL team tonight, Jacksonville, that had fans in the crowd. Um. So, um. That don't know how that went. I didn't. I didn't watch that game. I seen it on Red Zone, but I didn't particularly watch that game. So see how how that went. Um. I know the Kansas City Chiefs had fans the other night. That didn't go well. Um. Not in terms of COVID, but just in terms of. Uh, reactions um, to to statements that players were making, um, but that will be what it will be. Uh, so, just get you out on this one: um, who is going to win the title this year in the NBA? Um, I would like to see the Lakers win it, um, mainly just for personal preference because I'm a massive LeBron fan. Um, but I have to kind of go along and. Uh, kind of side almost with um, Kendrick Perkins and say Dem Goons from Day County might actually cause a massive upset because <laughs> um, they are literally the most consistent team throughout of all the bubble play that I've, that I've watched you know if they're not shooting well then they'll do it better on the defensive end um, they got they got past a very productive Bucks team um, without their main three point threats shooting anywhere near their highest level, and Jimmy Butler is a man on a mission. So I'm actually thinking that the Heat might do it. He is, he is certainly out to prove a point, and I think what he has found in Miami is uh, a, a GM um, that's willing to go to bat for him, 
um, and have that intensity along with him. Um, he's found teammates that are of his mindset, something that he didn't have in Minnesota. He didn't. You what? You look at some of the, the like Wiggins, um, Towns. They they weren't intense players. Whereas you look at Dragic, um, you get Hero. I mean, he he is an intense player, and he is going at it. He's not laughing and joking during the game. He's he's focused. So yeah, I agree. I th- I think I would actually like to see the Miami Heat win this, um, take it home all the way, especially because they're in Florida as well. So why not? Um, but yeah, nah, totally agree. So thanks so much for joining me, Ryan. It's no been great having you on the show. Um, thanks for having me. This was a little bit impromptu, I know. Um, so I didn't get your your five top sports movies. So we'll, we'll do that next time. Um, but. Uh, it'd be great having you show and we'll have you on again soon, all right? No worries. Cheers, man. See ya. Thank you so much for to Ryan Doherty for joining us on Across the Pond. Uh, great to have him on here. A uh, big thank you also to Fanatics for supporting our podcast. Next time you're going to shop, remember and do it at Fanatics for your fan gear. Uh, you can click on their link on our description of our pod um, or also on our social media. Uh, search on us Instagram and Facebook for Across the Pond Sports Pod and on Twitter at ATP Sports Pod. Um, great show. And we've got some more shows coming up for you this week. We've got two more. We've got our NFL review show, which we'll have uh, with Katie. That'll be about half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Uh, and then we'll do our week two preview later on in the week. Um, uh, apart from that, everyone have a great week. Um, enjoy the rest of what's left of the weekend. And we'll catch you all very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.